As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. We are going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. So two weeks ago, I did an episode on your client onboarding process and how to use your client onboarding process uh, in a way that will help your clients get even better results and format it in a way that will also allow you to further scale your business. And, you know, of course, every time we do a show, we promote it on our social media channels. And that particular episode got a ton of support and quite a few questions and comments. And the folks that were tuning in and writing in to me about the show were like, can you please talk more about the onboarding process and of course the client experience? And so I did just a little bit of digging to find out, you know, what do people really want to know about the onboarding process? And, you know, the thing that I want to say first is that the way we tend to view the onboarding process in, you know, I'm speaking directly to folks in the coaching and uh, online education industry, we view it as this one-time thing. You know, somebody buys and then the onboarding typically is, let's have an orientation call or let's have an onboarding call, typically with the entire group of people who joined in that particular cohort, We'll talk about the expectations of the program. We'll talk about what to expect. We'll talk about how to get the most results out of it. And that is great. That is something that should be happening, whether it is a group onboarding call or one-on-one onboarding call or both. And that is not where the onboarding process ends. In fact, the onboarding process, I want you to start looking at it like it is an event. And all of us have attended events in the past, whether it's an event in a ballroom with a thousand a thousand people, we've attended weddings, we've attended graduations, we've attended baby showers, we've attended all sorts of events in our lives. We attend school functions for our kids, but events are happening in our lives often. And when you think about an event, an event has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And depending on that event, maybe it's an hour long, maybe it's a day, maybe it's multiple days long, maybe it's multiple weeks or multiple months, but start to view your onboarding process as an event. Approach it with that perspective. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. So what's the beginning of your onboarding process? Well, the onboarding process initially starts as soon as your brand new, your prospect has turned into a brand new client when they make their payment, their initial payment, and they also part of that is signing the contract. So, but as soon as that money goes through, you are now activating the onboarding process. And there's a couple of things that happen in that onboarding process at the very beginning. You know, they're they're making their payment, they're signing a contract, 
you're delivering some sort of email to them with value, you're giving them access to what it is that they just purchased or a portion of that. And, you know, there's some other things that go along with the beginning. We won't go into a whole lot of detail in this particular episode about that. And then you have the middle of the onboarding process. And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time talking about the middle of the onboarding process today. I'm going to share a few key things that you want to make sure you're integrating into your onboarding process. And then we have the end. And here's the key thing about the end of an onboarding process. When does the end of the onboarding process actually happen? Your onboarding process isn't complete until your client has hit their first success milestone. Another way of saying that is until they get a result. And, you know, this isn't news to anybody, but when you are working with clients in your programs, it is really important that the way you've set up the first 30 days of the program, your clients have a high likelihood because of the way that you have structured the program, the way that you're leading through the program, and of course, who you're letting into your program, there is a high likelihood that they are achieving a result. It doesn't have to be a huge result, but it does need to be a result that is gaining, helping them gain momentum. And it is a result that is serving as a building block to the next result that they should be getting that is also serving as a building block that with all these results and all these success milestones are stacked upon one another, that it builds them up to achieving the, the ultimate outcome, promise, or goal that they desire to achieve, right? So for most of your coaching and education-based programs, you're really looking at an onboarding process that lasts weeks long. It lasts weeks. Uh, Definitely, I'd say 30 days, sometimes even longer. It just depends on your type of program. So I, I, you know, what I might end up doing two weeks ago, remember we kicked off I decided I was going to do a series. So when people started uh, really being very interested in that episode from a couple of weeks ago on the onboarding process, I said, you know what? Let's do a whole series. So I'm just checking out my notes and I tend to go a little overboard with what I like to share on these episodes. So I think what I'm going to do is talk about maybe the first two items that I have on my list here because I have a total of five and I'm going to chop this up into a series. And I guess technically this is part two because we already did part one. I think what I'll do is a a series that's three or four episodes long, just about the onboarding process. And who knows, it could be even longer. So I've already given you a couple of points here. And number one, keep in mind that your onboarding process doesn't end until the client gets a result. Number two, shift your perspective And look at the onboarding process as though it is an event with a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you want to map out what's the beginning of my onboarding process, what is in the middle of my onboarding process, and what is the end of the onboarding process. And look at it not through your lens of the client, but look at it through the lens of the client. Not what you think about the client, but design this thinking, what is my client experiencing? What are they feeling? What do I want them to think? So what do I want them to think? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do that is going to boost their confidence, boost their level of competency, and move them towards getting some small wins, 
stacking some of those wins, starting to develop some habits, starting to really get on board with our way of doing things here and the process that we're going to take them through that they're going to be taking action on and implementing so that they do get the results they came here to get. I want you to think of it from that perspective. And then what would be the end point of your onboarding process? What would be that first significant milestone that your client needs to achieve so that they can actually start working towards the second success milestone? Because if they can't get the first milestone, they're going to have a really hard time getting the second, third, and fourth milestone. It's not like they're in your year-long program and they're not getting a result until month 12. They should be getting results month one through 12. So what's the initial skill development? What's the initial habit development? What's the initial belief development? And then result that they need to get in month one that's going to put them on a trajectory of having a higher possibility and probability of being ultimately successful throughout your entire program. And then of course, they, they're they all going for some sort of significant outcome by the time they get to the end of your program. So s- spend some intentional, deliberate time thinking that all the way through. Spend some intentional, deliberate time evaluating your existing onboarding process. You know, I do uh, a lot of strategic advisory and consulting with CEOs and their teams and their overall company. Uh, One of the areas that I look at very, very closely and tend to make a lot of changes to is the client's onboarding process that they have currently inside of their programs. You know, I kick off my consulting with a about a 30 day, a month long audit and looking at the program's onboarding process is a big key component of that. In fact, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll have my client treat me like I'm a client. I like to actually go through your onboarding process. I want to experience your onboarding process like I'm a client. Because if you're just telling me what you do, or you're just giving me the automated email sequence that goes out, that's typically what people want to do. They just just want to tell me what their onboarding process looks like, and they want to give me their uh, onboarding email sequence, which is like two or three, maybe four emails at the most, and call it a day. And I'm like, well, what if I actually experienced the first 30 days of your program and you treated me the same way you treated a client as as though we just had a sales call, I paid my money and now what? Because when I go through your onboarding process, I want to feel the way your client feels. I want to think the way your client thinks. And that really allows me to indicate what the gaps are, where we have some constraints And it really helps me tap into another level of creativity and solutions that are really simple, but pack a really, really strong punch because the onboarding process, I'm here to tell you, your onboarding process will make or break the entire experience that your client has. You know, think about when a child enters into a teacher's classroom for the first time, they are making their assessment of that teacher starting on day one. And if the teacher says something to that student or operates their classroom in a certain way or doesn't operate their classroom in a certain way, and it rubs the student the wrong way, they're immediately making up their mind in that moment what they think about the classroom, what they think about the teacher, what they think about the subject matter, and what they think about their role inside of that classroom, and it will dictate the rest of that semester or year. 
it is no different with adults. It really is no different with adults. I used to be a high school teacher, folks, and I have worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, at this point, thousands of adults going through programs that I have created and led. And we're really no different than high school kids when it comes to how we're approaching our thoughts around this and our feelings around this. Okay. So that's what I want you to take away first in terms of how you look at and perceive the onboarding process. And then of course, if you've not listened to the episode from two episodes back, make sure you go listen to that because it was super juicy. It was very robust, has a lot of deliverables in it that you could literally turn around and go implement inside of your onboarding process. Like next week, if you sat down with that episode and reevaluated and remapped out your own onboarding process. So I'm going to dive into a couple of key points here also to include in inside of your onboarding process at the very beginning of it. And again, we'll do a bit of a series and I may jump around a bit. So just hang with me through this series. So, okay. One of the aspects, one aspect, and this is not in an order of priority. It's not in chronological order necessarily, but I am going to start with the beginning of the process. So one thing that you will want to include in your onboarding process is an intake form. Now, most people are already doing that. And that is, it's not like this is something that's uncommon. A lot of people will include an intake form inside of their onboarding process. So that's not rocket science. But a lot of folks are stopping there. You know, they get the intake form and they think they're finding out all this information about their client. But I want to share with you some other questions that are really smart for you to ask. And it's going to provide you with information on, on how to better guide, lead, teach, and steward your clients. Because this is what's very important about how you're thinking about and treating a group of clients who are also each an individual inside of your program. You cannot treat every single one of your clients in the exact same way. I'll compare this to your team. You cannot treat each of your team members in the exact same way. Some of your team members are contractors, some are part-time, and some are full-time. You do not treat a contractor the exact same way that you treat a full-time employee. Uh, some of you are going to have team members that just started with you very recently. They have no track record with you. And then you've got other people who've been with you for three or four years. You are not going to treat those two people in the exact same way. You have team members that have varying degrees of skill sets. You are not going to treat those team members in the exact same way. You have team members with varying degrees of personalities and processing styles and giftings and strengths and weaknesses. You are not going to treat every single one of those employees in the exact same way or team members in the exact same way. It's the same with your clients. Each one of your clients thinks a little differently. They learn a little differently. They have preferred processing styles that are not all the same. Each one of your clients has different values or different aspects of their experience with your program. They place different levels of value, different degrees of value on 
various aspects of your program. For example, when I join a program or a mastermind or work with a coach and I'm with a group of people, I actually place a very high degree of my value on building friendships, relationships, and feeling like I'm part of a community. And sometimes I will actually place more value on that than I do the tangible result that I'm going to get from implementing the program. Other people may place a lot of weight and value on getting access to the coach, the main coach, or to a coaching team. Other people may place a lot of value on the in-person aspects of your program. Other folks may may place a lot of value on the ultimate end game outcome or result that they're going to get in the program. Uh, Other people place a lot of value on being provided with a step-by-step roadmap that is very plug and play for them. So not even though every single person in your program is buying the same offer and they're going to go through the same program, they you cannot treat each one of them in the exact same way because no two of them are identical, which means the way that you lead people, it's got to be a little bit different. And And folks will argue with me on this Because what they'll say is, well, that's not scalable. I can't do that. I don't have the resources for that. I don't have the money for that. I don't have the team for that. I don't have the time for that. These people are adults. They paid money. They need to be go-getters. They need to come here and do and work. And I'm not saying I disagree with that statement, but there's a whole lot more to it. If we desire for people to have an incredible experience, get great results, uh, stay with us and become loyal and then become our greatest advocates and remain in our ecosystem or leave our ecosystem and come back to our ecosystem or leave our ecosystem, but send other people into the ecosystem. So that's very important for you to remember. I want to share with you a couple of things you can add inside of the intake form that you probably already do have in place. Find out what your client's learning style is. Are they auditory? Are they visual? Are they feeling? Find that out from them. Find out how they're, what's their preferred processing style and or how do they process information? People process information in lots of different ways. Find out what motivates them. Find out if they are an introvert or an extrovert. Find out how they typically, like what's their typical behavior inside of a group program or a mastermind? Are they talkative? Are they not? Are they quiet? Are they not? Do they show up for things? Do they not? Um, how do they, how do they prefer to receive feedback? How does each client prefer to receive feedback that works really, really well for them so that you are giving them feedback in a way that works really well for them? What's the best medium to communicate with them? Is it phone? Is it text? Is it email? Is it Facebook messenger? Is it Voxer? And I'm not saying you need to accommodate everybody's, you know, like dying wish inside of your program. But if it's no longer just you anymore and you do have team, then I highly recommend that you do a, that's an area for improvement. Improve the various modalities and mediums that you are using to communicate with your clients. And I'll give an example. I love a spreadsheet. And in all the programs that I ever ran that were groups and masterminds, which I don't run them anymore, when I did there were always spreadsheets for my clients to fill out. It was one of the ways that we held them accountable and knew what what activities they were doing on a weekly basis and if they were getting results or not because it showed us where we needed to step in. 
I always had a small handful of clients that would just fight me on those spreadsheets. And what I figured out is they did not work well inside of a spreadsheet. There's no other way to say it. And so when I would inquire with them about, well, what's a better method for us to communicate or for you to communicate this information with us? And we figured out it was by voice. And it's not like we needed to spend all this time doing private voice coaching with them over Voxer or something. All they had to do was just once a week, shoot over a Voxer with an update. And then we would acknowledge that we received it. And then we would get feedback via Voxer. So you know, when you do this, you do have to have boundaries around that. But why on earth are we forcing people who are not all the same, who are not all like us to just operate in the way that we want them to? What if that's not the best learning environment for them? What if that's not going to cultivate an environment for them that does actually produce results, that does invite them to show up and engage and participate and have a desire to actually be a contributing member to this program and be a success story? I think that we are at a time and a place right now where we really have to think, rethink how to better accommodate the different types of people and learners, even though they're adults, the different types of learners who are joining our programs and personalities and processing styles and experiences and skills and strengths and weaknesses. And historically, we haven't been doing that in the coaching and education space. Okay. Uh, Other things to find out inside of your intake form, how do they want to be rewarded? You should absolutely have some kind of reward system built into your programs Find out why they joined your program in the first place. Find out what their intention is or what do they think their intention is and ask them what they find valuable inside of the program. Like also find out, here's another one, find out what does success look like to them? What, how will you know when you are successful in this program? You got to get intel from them. You've got to get intel from them, not just you know, tell me about your life. What's your, who's your ideal client? What offers do you provide? What are your price points? Like, okay, fine. What other programs have you taken? Like that honestly does not help you that much because it's not actually helping you know how to better serve a client, right? Like you're going to figure all that stuff out. If you want to leave it in your intake form, leave it in your intake form. But this is the juicy stuff that you need to find out because now you can actually better serve them. You will have a better idea of, of and pulse on what's going on if this person is really quiet on group calls or if they're really loud on group calls or if they tend to be a bit of a drifter or if they are very resistant or you know whatever it is learn more about their personality their learning styles and their preferences this is really really key okay so that's one thing i want you to go evaluate inside of your onboarding process the other thing uh element thing. I need a better word for the word thing. Item, element. uh, I don't know what we'll call it. Element. I like element. So another element that I always install when I work with a consulting client, I've never seen one consulting client already have this in place. Every single one of your clients should have a personalized client growth plan. You see client growth plans in the technology and software industries. You always see them there. And I have probably read every single book or own every single book on client experience and on onboarding processes and client success. And you know what industry every single one of them, every single last one of them comes from the technology and software industry. If you have ever gotten your hands on a book 
on client success, client experience, or onboarding processes. And it is not in the technology and software space or has not been written by someone who works in that space. Please send me a note and tell me what the book is or send me the link to Amazon so I can get it because I've never been able to find one in any other industry. So that industry, I'm not saying they are do it exceptionally well, but they actually developed that process in the 90s, in the mid-90s, client growth plans. So that's where you'll see it a lot. That's really where it began. And the purpose of a client growth plan really hinges off of what I said about what you're gathering inside of the intake form. You can't lead every single one of your clients through your program in the exact same way because not every single one of them values the same things at the same level. Not every single one of them has the exact same goals. No, nobody, no two, no two people are going to have the same goal in your program. You do know that, right? They're just not, but you've got to find that out. No two people are going to necessarily have the exact same success milestones on the exact same timeline. Not every single client is going to come equipped with the exact same or identical set of resources, set of funds, capital, strengths, uh, resources, networks. Everybody is going to look a little bit different. And so you've got to figure that out. You've got to gather that information from them. So a couple of things that you want to include in your personalized client growth plan is obviously key pieces of information, like what are their goals? You also want to make sure that uh, you are managing expectations about what is possible and probable inside of your program. Do not promise people the whole world because they're not going to get it in your program. So find out what they think their goals are and by when they think they're going to be able to reach them. and bring them into reality if needed. From there, you've got to help them figure out what their success milestones should be. Now, if you are running a six-month to a year-long program, you may not know upfront what every single success milestone needs to be, but you definitely need to figure out what their success milestones are for the first 30 to 45 days. This is also helping you and your team who's working with your clients be able to better track each one of your clients. So goals, milestones in this first client growth plan, at least for the first 30 to 45 days, find out what what resources they already have in place or already have access to that will help them reach this initial success milestone and reach their goals. Find out what skills they already have. Identify the gaps. Identify potential risks identify the skills they need to develop to close the gaps, identify the resources they need to hit their milestones and their goals, identify the milestones they should reach along with a timeline. Uh, Also, you certainly want to create a new client growth plan once this one has been met. So if your initial client growth plan it can certainly have like, what's your ultimate goal for the, between now and the end of the program? Like by the end of the program, what's the ultimate goal? But you got to reverse engineer that. You have to back that up and you've got to chunk things down into smaller manageable bits and pieces for the client's mind to wrap around. And so I think it's a great rule of thumb to do a 30 to 45 day client growth plan. But then it needs, once it's met, once it's met, That's when you actually know the onboarding process for that client is probably complete. 
but then you need to have another meeting with them and they need to create a new client growth plan. And you don't just update the existing one, you create a brand new one, a whole new document. It's a new client growth plan and you keep the old one so that you can compare them. So you may be developing multiple client growth plans for each individual client throughout the program. Now, everybody's client growth plan in terms of the template, everybody's getting the same template, but what people are filling into their client growth plan, it's all going to look a little bit different. So I hope you see how the client growth plan is going to help the client be more clear on what their pathway looks like inside of your program. They're going to have a more clear picture as to what it means to be successful in your program and how they'll know when they're successful. And then you you and your team know how to better lead and guide and coach, mentor, teach, and track that particular person. So it just makes your life so much easier. Also inside the client growth plan, include areas in your program content or your curriculum that would be most beneficial for the client based on what you discover during this client growth plan conversation. And this probably needs to be a 30-minute one-on-one call that someone on your team has with like within the first week of the person joining the program. That needs to happen really, really fast, really fast. And it's it's one of my favorite aspects of a program because you just get to know so much about the client and then you're less in the dark about why they're not doing what they should do, be doing or what they really should be doing so that they can reach their goal. So the biggest thing I want you to walk away with from today's episode are a couple of things. Number one, the onboarding process ends when your client reaches that first success milestone and they have, they've gotten that first initial result, which is the most important result for them to get based on whatever it is that you're teaching them. And the second thing that I want you to really understand is that not every single one of your clients can be treated and led through your program in the in in an identical way, in the exact same way. You know, it's just like I gave you a couple of examples with students in a classroom and with your team. It's the same thing with your children. If you have three children, you know, two, three, or four children, we have an only child. Um, I am not an only child though, had a brother, but my parents did not raise us the exact same way. I mean, we were raised with the same set of morals and values, of course, because we grew up in the same household with the same parents. But the way that they led us, the way they treated us, the way they talked to us, it was not the same because we were not the same. So if you are a parent of more than one child, that should be a really good indicator to you. That's such a good example that you weren't able to treat your kids in the exact same way. You weren't even able to speak to your kids in the exact same way because they're two different beings. If you've got 50, 75, 100, even more clients inside your program or less, doesn't matter. But if you've got more than two people in your program, you cannot lead all of them in the exact same way. And so we want to put different mediums and modalities and structures and pathways inside of our programs. And you've got to figure this out in the onboarding process with your clients so that they all have an opportunity to optimize what they are amazing at, and they optimize their probability and possibility of reaching great levels of success while they're in your program. And look, the truth is not everybody's going to be successful in your program. Uh, That is like not even, that's not even like possible that every single one of your clients is getting like just incredible results. It's also going to help you make sure you are enrolling the right people into your program. 
Um, so the more hands-on you can be with your clients, especially up front, to get them moving in the right direction as fast as possible and really get them thinking in a way they've got to think to be successful, feeling the feelings they need to feel to be successful, developing the habits they've got to develop in order to be successful, taking the action and following through in a way that you know is going to lead to them being successful. That's going to take you a solid 30 to 45 days to even get them to that place. And that it, it, look, it's going, there's going to be some heavy lifting for everybody involved in the very beginning. And this is why it's also so important that you've got a great support team around you who can really support your efforts, your company's efforts and your clients' efforts as they are navigating through your program. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop it here for this segment, this episode, and we will pick back up next week because I have a lot more to talk about with the onboarding process. You didn't know how involved the onboarding process actually is until you got a hold of me. I will change your mind on how to lead, how to structure, how to develop, how to lead, how to refine, how to evaluate your onboarding process, because it is the make or break of the future of your company, of the reputation of your brand, of the success of your clients, of the longevity of your clients, of the lifetime value of your clients. The onboarding process is a significant component. I mean, think about it. If we can't get our clients to be successful during that part, it's going to be real tough to get them to be successful after that part. So put more of the heavy lifting up front, and I will certainly guide you and give you what you need to make your onboarding onboarding process very robust and uh, just a big win for everybody involved. So if you loved this episode, uh, I would love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review. Uh, We don't run ads here. Uh, I don't have sponsors here. The number one way and really the only and the best way for us to reach more people is for you to share this out. So in whatever way you found out about this show, uh, whatever platform you listen to it on, feel free, please share it out to others, post it on your social media channels. Be sure to tag me, tag the show so that we can uh, get into the ears and lives and businesses of a lot of other really incredible CEOs and entrepreneurs just like you. I would be honored for you to share it and uh, would so appreciate you as well. Until next time, remember to design your life and business so that it is built to last. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.